Juliana Clausen, Hebrew Bible professor at Stellenbosch University in South Africa, writes that it is the job description of a prophet to give a life-giving word of hope when all events seem to the contrary. When families flee from foreign lands, going on death marches through deserts for a better future. As houses of worship are demolished, violence entering into these sacred spaces. As cities are destroyed and countries lost. As families are torn apart, people begin to wonder if the God of their ancestors is still their God. And these circumstances are not just what flashes across our news screens nightly. No, these are the same circumstances that Isaiah found himself in those thousands of years ago as the Israelite people were exiled from their holy city of Jerusalem. And in many ways, Our world is so drastically different than the world that those people found themselves in. And in many ways, our world is so eerily the same. Prophets are called to give messages of hope as empires adopt scorched earth policies. And Isaiah reminds his people and us that God's way is one of restoration, of peace and reconciliation and healing and joy. For a desert people, Isaiah uses water imagery. And maybe we, like the water in this scripture, maybe we too come down from heaven and do not return there until we've watered the earth making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Because we are God's legacy. The thorn and briar images of judgment have been replaced here with the cypress tree and the flowering myrtle, with lands themselves singing and clapping and shouting with praise. And at the very end of this passage that Norm is about to read, we hear God remind us of God's covenant. A covenant that we see with a dove and a rainbow, a covenant that we see with a cross and an empty tomb. Isaiah writes of this covenant, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. For we are God's legacy. And if we cannot imagine it, if we cannot hope for it, then we and our future generations cannot live it. For we are God's legacy. A reading from the prophet Isaiah. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy 
and be led back in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall burst into song, and the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall be to the Lord for a memorial, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorified in your sight. For you, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This week, my husband Dan, who is a Lutheran pastor, lost his opportunity for his five minutes of fame. And for pastors, let me tell you, those five minutes don't come around frequently. He received a call this past Wednesday asking for a comment from Joe Marr, the dreaded Chicago Sun-Times. And he was asked to comment on the death of the late and great Billy Graham. My husband, given the opportunity to provide some deep, profound words, replied with no comment. The reporter said they'd been receiving a lot of that, and so the reporter asked further his reasoning. My husband replied that the words of the culturally known and acclaimed Billy Graham, the world's first televangelist, did not have much to say to his Lutheran congregation. Billy Graham was a complicated man. Writer Lauren Duca received much attention this past week as she tweeted on Wednesday, quote, news today is that Billy Graham was still alive all this time. Anyway, have fun in hell, she wrote. There is so much pain and grief in those words. Lovers of Graham responded to Duca with nothing less than Christian charity and love, with death threats and questions of her eternal salvation. After all, what would Jesus do? But Duca is not alone in her feelings. A good friend of mine who grew up in Wheaton in the late 80s and early 90s, who's a gay man, replied with this when I asked him what he thought of Graham's passing. He replied with a quote from Clarence Darrow, one of the lawyers in the Scopes Monkey trial. He said, I've never wished a man dead, but I've read some obituaries with great pleasure. Graham was a complicated man, and he left a complicated legacy. During his life, he did incredible things. He was the religious advisor for 12 presidents, and if you, like me, love to watch the Netflix series, The Queen, you know that Queen Elizabeth herself looked up to Graham. Graham moved Christianity into a public arena that it had not seen before, through the use of media and television and radio, stadiums were filled. But during his life, Graham also caused immense pain that we heard reflected. 
He created propaganda towards the LGBTQ community and spread lies about HIV AIDS. And Graham was not a voice in the civil rights movement, but he was a man who changed and evolved. And there are untold stories of Graham that do not fit fundamentalist ideals. When faced with his own negligence in the civil rights movement after the deadly bombing in Birmingham in 1963, Graham is quoted as saying, we should have been leading the way in the civil rights movement. But we have failed it, and we have to confess it, and we have to admit it, and now we have to do something about it. Later in life, Graham also softened on many issues leaving his conservative counterparts behind. As he increased in understanding and awareness, he said that God is known in many ways, not just in this concrete identity of Christianity, but that God is found in other faiths and in the beauty of nature. His friend and author, Reverend Dr. Mel White, an openly gay man himself, writes about the ways that Graham has changed over the years. And I can't help but wonder if the legacy that Graham is left with is one that he would not have desired. If the stories that are told speak of the man he was rather than the man that he became. So often in our world, we are given this idea of who we should be or who we should wish to be. And for some, Maybe like Graham, their narratives take a life of their own. And we're given in this world a sense of who our heroes should be. Maybe Gandhi or King, maybe Brene Brown or Michael Jordan or Neil Armstrong. These people live stories that might not even be their own, but are the stories that we come to know of them. And these are people who did incredible things. But I was having coffee with a high schooler earlier this week, and we were talking about the pressure that is put on all of us from a very young age. That we have to get good grades, that we have to get good test scores, that we have to go to good schools, and then we have to have good jobs. And that the way that those things are defined is so narrow and so prescriptive that sometimes we feel constricted by barriers that are not ours and do not speak to the wish lives that we wish to live. There are those jobs that you look up to, but what if all you really want to be is a nurse or a teacher or a social worker? Or even dare I say it, what if you want to be a pastor? <laughs> And what if instead of putting pressure on ourselves to do this one big great thing with our lives, what if instead we challenged ourselves to do a lot of little things with great love? In her book, Middlemarch, George Eliot writes of one such person who did not live in a way that would be noted by historians, but whose little acts were historic to all who knew her. She writes of the character Dorothea, but the effects of her being on those around her was incalculable. 
For the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts, and that things are not so ill with you or with me as they might have been, if half owing to the number of people who lived faithfully hidden lives and rest in unvisited tombs. And in my life, I pray that I can live like Dorothea, that I do not necessarily have to do anything particularly historic or heroic. I don't plan on leaving my name in a textbook or on some plaque. But like the rain and snow that comes down from heaven, I want to do my part while I'm on this earth so that things can grow and flourish. And then I pray that I can return to God in peace, knowing that I have done my part, because we are all part of God's legacy. A mom within our congregation recently posted a picture of a letter written with a wobbly hand of her little one. This letter was addressed to a governmental leader and it asked if we could live in a world that maybe was a little bit nicer. And it asked if maybe we could treat one another a little bit better. And this little one said that they believed that all people are created equal. And it shared their fear about the violence that we see in this world. And it shared her hopes that it could be better. And little one, it can be better, and you deserve better. For we are leaving you a legacy. And this last week, as I listened to high schoolers from Florida speak up and out, sharing their fear and their anger, <laughs> I was encouraged that 200 people gathered in our church pilgrim hall this past week to talk about what hope we have for another way of living and that together we can hold on to that hope and we can dream of a different world. Because we are leaving a legacy. We are leaving a legacy as we feed and house the homeless in this church every Sunday. We are leaving a legacy as we teach our children to celebrate diversity, God's beautiful diversity. We are leaving a legacy as we believe that there is hope and another way for this world, a way of peace and restoration and healing and reconciliation. We are leaving a legacy. And we are surrounded this morning in worship by all those who started this work. I invite you to look above, to look at all these names, of the people who came before us, drawing the circle of God's love ever wider, so that all of God's people may know that they are loved and that they belong just as they are. These people have left us a legacy. And this legacy was started by a man who did not care about what was polite or socially acceptable, but by a man who ate with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors, and we are called to continue his legacy. In a 1927 bulletin from this congregation, 
It was written that this church is not a building, it is a life. It is the composition of many people. It is the accumulation of desires, of plans, of efforts, and experiences. This church is a living legacy. And one of the stories that I have learned and loved so much is the story of our bell. And many of you have heard it told of how the bell was bought when it was too big for its building and how it was a symbol of hope for what our church could be in the community and in the world and how now every single Sunday morning it rings from that tower above us calling us forward to be God's living legacy. And every time I hear this story, I can't help but also hear the words of poet John Donne. He says that no man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, part of the main. If a clod washes away to the sea, Europe is less. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls, for it tolls for thee. This mighty bell throughout the ages tolls for you and it tolls for me, calling us to hope and to dream and to believe in a better tomorrow, for we are God's legacy. And I pray that I will respond so that my legacy while not needing to be particularly historic or heroic, is one that is rooted in generosity and love. Hoping, believing, knowing that the words of the prophet Isaiah are possible and that we together have to imagine it so that future generations can live it because we are God's legacy. Amen.